0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, chapters 15 and 16, from A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, by Mark Twain. Hope you enjoy it. Chapter 15, Sandy's Tale And so I'm proprietor of some knights, said I, as we rode off. Who would ever have supposed that I should live to list up assets of that sort? I shan't know what to do with them. UNLESS I RAFFLE THEM OFF, HOW MANY OF THEM ARE THERE, SANDY? SEVEN, PLEASE YOU, SIR, AND THEIR SQUIRES. THAT'S A GOOD haul. WHO ARE THEY? WHERE DO THEY HANG OUT? WHERE DO THEY HANG OUT? YES, WHERE DO THEY LIVE? AH, I UNDERSTOOD thee NOT. THAT WILL I TELL EPSUNS. THEN SHE SAID MUSINGLY AND SOFTLY, TURNING THE WORDS DAINTILY OVER HER TONGUE, HANG THEY OUT, HANG THEY OUT. Where hang? Where do they hang out? Eh, right so. Where do they hang out? Of a truth, the phrase hath a fair and winsome grace, and is prettily worded withal. I will repeat it anon and anon, in mine ad less, whereby I may peradventure learn it. Where do they hang out? Even so, already it falleth trippingly from my tongue, and forasmuch as— Don't forget the cowboys, Sandy. Cowboys? Yes, the knights, you know. You were going to tell me about them. A while back, do you remember? Figuratively speaking, games called. Game? Yes, yes, yes. Go to the bat. I I mean, get to work on your statistics. And don't burn so much kindling getting your fire started. Tell me about the knights. I will well, and lightly will begin. So they two departed, rode into a great forest, and— Great Scott! You see, I recognized my mistake at once. I had set her works a-going. It was my own fault. She would be thirty days getting down to those facts, and she generally began without a preface and finished without a result. If you interrupted her, she would either go right along without noticing, or answer with a couple of words, and then go back and say the sentence over again. So interruptions only did harm, and yet I had to interrupt, and interrupt pretty frequently, too, in order to save my life.' A person would die if he let her monotony drip on him right along all day. "'Great Scott!' I said in my distress. She went right back and began over again. "'So they two departed and rode into a great forest, and—' "'Which two, "'Sir Gawain and Sir Ewain. "'And so they came to an abbey of monks, and they were well lodged. "'So on the morn they heard their masses in the abbey, "'and so they rode forth till they came to a great forest.' Then was Sir Gawain, where in a valley, by a turret, of twelve fair damsels, and two knights armed on great horses, and the damsels went to and fro by a tree. And then was Sir Gawain, where, how there hung a white shield on that tree, and ever as the damsels came by it, they spit upon it, and some threw mire upon the shield. Now if I hadn't seen the like myself in this country, Sandy, I wouldn't believe it. But I have seen it, and I can just see those creatures now. "'parading before that shield and acting like that. "'The women here certainly do act like all possessed. "'Yes, and I mean your best, too, "'society's very choicest brands. "'The humblest hello-girl along ten thousand miles of wire "'could teach gentleness, patience, modesty, manners "'to the highest duchess in Arthur's land.' "'Hello-girl?' "'Yes, but don't ask me to explain. "'It's a new kind of girl. "'They don't have them here.' One often speaks sharply to them when they're not the least in fault, and he can't get over feeling sorry for it and ashamed of himself in thirteen hundred years. It's such shabby, mean conduct, and so unprovoked. The fact is, no gentleman ever does it. Though I, well, I myself, if I've got to confess, peradventure, she... Never mind her. Never mind her. I tell you, I couldn't ever explain her so you would understand. Even so be it since ye have so minded. Then Sir Gawaine and Sir Ewain went and saluted them, and asked them why they did that despite to the shield. Sirs, said the damsels, we shall tell you. There is a knight in this country that owneth this white shield, and he is a passing good man of his hands, but he hateth all ladies and gentlewomen, and therefore we do all this despite to the shield. I will say you, said Sir Gawaine. It beseemeth evil a good knight to despise all ladies and gentlewomen, and peradventure, though he hate you, he hath some cause, and peradventure he loveth in some other places ladies and gentlewomen, and to be loved again. And he's such a man of prowess as ye speak of. Man of prowess, yes, that's the man to please them, Sandy. Man of brains, that's the thing they never think of. Tom Sayers, John Heenan, John L. Sullivan, pity but you could be here. "'You would have your legs under the round-table, "'and a sir in front of your names within the next twenty-four hours, "'and you could bring about a new distribution "'of the married princesses and duchesses of the court "'in another twenty-four. "'The fact is, it is just a sort of polished-up court of Comanches, "'and there isn't a squaw in it "'who doesn't stand ready at the dropping of a hat "'to desert to the buck with the biggest string of scalps at his belt. "'And he be such a man of prowess as ye speak of,' said Sir Gawain. "'Now, what is his name?' "'Sir,' said they.' His name is Marhouse, the king's son of Ireland. A son of the king of Ireland, you mean. The other form doesn't mean anything. Oh, and look out, hold on tight. Now, we must jump this gully. There, we're all right now. This horse belongs to the circus. He's born before his time. I know him well, said Sir Ewain. He's a passing good knight, as any is on live. On live? If you've got a fault in the world, Sandy, it's that you are a shade too archaic. "'but it isn't any matter. "'For I saw him once proved at just "'where many knights were gathered, "'and that time there might be no man withstand him. "'Ah,' said Sir Gawain, "'damsels, methinketh ye are to blame, "'for it is to suppose that he that hung that shield there "'will not be long therefrom, "'and then may those knights match him on horseback. "'And that is more, your worship, than thus, "'for I will abide no longer to see a knight's shield dishonoured. "'And therewith Sir Ewain and Sir Gawain,' parted a little from them, and then were they where, where Sir Malhouse came riding on a great horse straight toward them, and when the twelve damsels saw Sir Marhouse, they fled into the turret, as they were wild, so that some of them fell by the way. Then one of the knights of the tower dressed his shield, and said on high, Sir Mauhouse, defend thee, and so they ran together that the knight brake his spear on Sir Mauhouse, and Sir Mauhouse smote him so hard that he brake his neck and the horse's back. "'Well, that is just the trouble about this state of things. It ruins so many horses.' "'That saw the other knight of the turret, and dressed him toward Marhouse, and they went so eagerly together that the knight of the turret was soon smitten down, horse and man, stark dead. "'Another horse gone. I tell you it's a custom that ought to be broken up. I don't see how people with any feeling can applaud and support it.' So these two knights came together with great random. "'I saw that I had been asleep and missed a chapter, but I didn't say anything.' I judged that the Irish knight was in trouble with the visitors by this time, and this turned out to be the case. That Sir Uwaine smote Sir Malhouse, that his spear brashed in pieces on the shield, and Sir Mauhouse smote him so sore, that horse and man he bare to the earth, and hurt Sir Uwaine on the left side. The truth is, Alisande, these archaics are a little too simple. The vocabulary is too limited, and so, by consequence, descriptions suffer in the matter of variety. They run too much to level deserts of fact, and not enough to picturesque detail. This throws about them a certain air of the monotonous. In fact, the fights are all alike. A couple of people come together with great random, random's a good word, and so is exegesis, for that matter, and so is holocaust, and defalcation and usufruct, and a hundred others. But land, a body ought to discriminate. They come together with great random, and a spear is brassed, and one party break his shield, and the other one goes down, horse and man, over his horsetail, and break his neck. And then the next candidate comes, randoming in, and brast his spear, and the other man brast his shield, and down he goes, horse and man, over his horse tail and break his neck. And then there's another elected, and another, and another, and still another, till the material is all used up. And when you come to figure up results, you can't tell one fight from another, nor who whipped. And as a picture of living— raging, roaring battle, show why it's pale and noiseless, just ghosts scuffing in a fog. What would this barren vocabulary get out of the Midas spectacle? The burning of Rome in Nero's time, for instance. Why, it would merely say, Town burned down, no insurance, boy brass a window, fireman break his neck. Why, that ain't a picture. It was a good deal of a lecture, I thought, but it didn't disturb Sandy, didn't turn a feather, her steam soared steadily up again, the minute I took off the lid. Then Sir Mauhouse turned his horse and rode toward Gawain with his spear, and when Sir Gawain saw that, he dressed his shield, and they aventured their spears, and they came together with all the might of their horses, that either knight smote others so hard in the midst of their shields, but Sir Gawain's spear brake. I knew it would, but Sir Mauhouse's spear held, and therewith Sir Gawain and his horse rushed down to the earth. "'Just so, and I'll bet he broke his back. "'And lightly Sir Gawain rose upon his feet, "'and pulled out his sword, "'and dressed him toward Sir Malhouse on foot, "'and therewith either came unto other eagerly, "'and they smote together with their swords, "'that their shields flew in cantels, "'and they bruised their helms and their hauberks, "'and wounded either other. "'But Sir Gawain, though it past nine of the clock, "'waxed by the space of three hours "'ever stronger and stronger, "'and thrice his might was increased.' All this espied Sir Malhouse, and had great wonder how his might increased, and so they wounded each other, passing sore, and then, when it was come noon, the petting sing-song of it carried me forward to scenes and sounds of my boyhood days. New Haven! Ten minutes for refreshments. Conductor will strike the gong-bell two minutes before the train leaves. Passengers for the shoreline, please take seats in the rear car. This car don't go no further. And yet little would one of these people mind a small thing like that. Apples, oranges, briannas, sandwiches, sandwiches, popcorn. And waxed past noon and drew towards Evensong. Sir Gawain's strength feebled and waxed passing faint, that on he might do any longer. And Sir Mauhaus was then bigger and bigger. Which strained his armor, of course, and yet little would one of these people mind a small thing like that. And so, Sir Knight, said Sir Marhouse, I have felt well that ye are a passing good knight, and a marvellous man of might as ever I felt any, while it lasteth, and our quarrels are not great, and therefore it were a pity to do you hurt, for I feel you are passing feeble. Ah, said Sir Gawain, gentle knight, ye say the word that I should say. And therewith they took off their helm, and either kissed other, and there they swore together either to love other as brethren, But I lost the thread there, and dozed off to slumber, thinking about what a pity it was that men with such superb strength, strength enabling them to stand up cased in cruelly burdensome iron and drenched with perspiration, and hack and batter and bang each other for six hours on a stretch, should not have been born at a time when they could put it to some useful purpose. Take a jackass, for instance. A jackass has that kind of strength, and puts it to a useful purpose. And it's valuable to this world because he's a jackass. "'but a nobleman's not value because he's a jackass. "'It is a mixture that is always ineffectual "'and should never have been attempted in the first place. "'And yet, once you start a mistake, the trouble is done, "'and you never know what is going to come of it. "'When I came to myself again and began to listen, "'I perceived that I had lost another chapter "'and that Alisand had wandered a long way off with her people. "'And so they rode and came into a deep valley full of stones, "'and thereby they saw a fair stream of water.' Above thereby was the head of the stream, a fair fountain, and three damsels sitting thereby. In this country, said Sir Marhouse, never came knight since it was christened, but he found strange adventures. "'This is not good form, Alisand. Sir Marhouse, the king's son of Ireland, talks like all the rest. You ought to give him a brogue, or at least a characteristic expletive. By this means one would recognize him as soon as he spoke, without his ever being named.' It is a common literary device with the great authors. In this country, be jabbers, came never night since it was christened, but he found strange adventures, be jabbers. You see how much better that sounds? Came never night, but he found strange adventures, be jabbers. Of a truth it doth indeed, fair Lord, albeit tis passing hard to say, though peradventure that will not tarry, but better speed with usage. And then they rode to the damsels, and either saluted other, and the eldest had a garland of gold about her head, and she was threescore winter of age or more. The damsel was? Even so, dear lord, and her hair was white under the garland. Celluloid teeth, nine dollars a set, as like as not, the loose-fit kind, that go up and down like a porticullis when you eat, and fall out when you laugh. The second damsel was of thirty winter of age, with a circlet of gold about her head. The third damsel was but fifteen year of age. BELLOWS OF THOUGHT CAME ROLLING OVER MY SOUL, AND THE VOICE FADED OUT OF MY HEARING. FIFTEEN! BREAK, MY HEART! OH, MY LOST DARLING! JUST HER AGE, was SO GENTLE, AND LOVELY, AND ALL THE WORLD TO ME, AND WHOM I SHALL NEVER SEE AGAIN! HOW THE THOUGHT OF HER CARRIES ME BACK OVER WIDE SEAS OF MEMORY TO A VAGUE dim TIME, A HAPPY TIME, SO MANY, MANY CENTURIES HENCE, WHEN I USED TO WAKE IN THE SOFT SUMMER MORNINGS, OUT OF SWEET DREAMS OF HER, AND SAY, HELLO, CENTRAL! just to hear her dear voice come melting back to me with a, "'Hello, Hank!' That was music of the spheres to my enchanted ear. She got three dollars a week, but she was worth it. I could not follow Alisanne's further explanation of who our captured knights were now. I mean in case she should ever get to explaining who they were. My interest was gone, my thoughts were far away, and sad, by fitful glimpses of the drifting tale, caught here and there, and now and then, I merely noted in a vague way that each of these three knights took one of these three damsels up behind him on his horse, and one rode north, another east, the other south, to seek adventures, and meet again and lie after year and day. Year and day, and without baggage. It was of a piece with the general simplicity of the country. The sun was now setting. It was about three in the afternoon when Alessandra had begun to tell me who the cowboys were, so she had made a pretty good progress with it for her. She would arrive some time or other, no doubt, but she was not a person who could be hurried. We were approaching a castle which stood on high ground, a huge, strong, venerable structure, whose great towers and battlements were charmingly draped with ivy, and whose whole majestic mass was drenched with splendours, flung from the sinking sun. It was the largest castle we had seen, and so I thought it might be the one we were after. But Sandy said no. She did not know who owned it but she said she had passed it without calling when she went down to Camelot. We'll return with Chapter 16 right after these sponsor messages. Hi, everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, otherwise known to millions of filmgoers And now, Chapter 16 Morgan le Fay. If knights errant were to be believed, not all castles were desirable places to seek hospitality in. As a matter of fact, knights errant were not persons to be believed that is, measured by modern standards of veracity. Yet, measured by the standards of their own time and scaled accordingly, you got the truth. It was very simple you discounted a statement 97%, the rest was fact. Now, after making this allowance, the truth remained that if I could find out something about a castle before ringing the doorbell, I mean hailing the warders, it was the sensible thing to do. So I was pleased when I saw in the distance a horseman making the bottom turn of the road that wound down from the castle. As we approached each other, I saw that he wore a plumed helmet, and seemed to be otherwise clothed in steel, but bore a curious addition also, a stiff, square garment like a herald's tabard. "'However, I had to smile at my own forgetfulness "'when I got nearer and read this sign on his tabard. "'Persimmon soap, all the prima donna use it. "'That was a little idea of my own, "'and had several wholesome purposes in view "'towards the civilizing and uplifting of this nation. "'In the first place, it was a furtive underhand blow "'at this nonsense of knight-errantry, "'though nobody suspected that but me. "'I had started a number of these people out, THE BRAVEST knights COULD GET EACH SANDWICH BETWEEN bulletin BOARDS BEARING ONE DEVICE OR ANOTHER, AND I JUDGED THAT BY AND BY, WHEN THEY GOT TO BE NUMEROUS ENOUGH, THEY WOULD BEGIN TO LOOK RIDICULOUS, AND THEN EVEN THE STEEL-CLAD ASS THAT HADN'T ANY BOARD WOULD HIMSELF BEGIN TO LOOK RIDICULOUS BECAUSE HE WAS OUT OF THE FASHION. SECONDLY, THESE MISSIONARIES WOULD GRADUALLY, AND WITHOUT CREATING SUSPICION OR EXCITING ALARM, INTRODUCE A RUDIMENTARY CLEANLINESS AMONG THE NOBILITY, AND FROM THEM IT WOULD WORK DOWN TO THE PEOPLE. If the priests could be kept quiet. This would undermine the church. I mean, would be a step toward that. Next, education. Next, freedom. And then she would begin to crumble. It being my conviction that any established church is an established crime, an established slave pen. I had no scruples, but was willing to assail it in any way or with any weapon that promised to hurt it. Why, in my own former day, in remote centuries not yet stirring in the womb of time, there were old Englishmen who imagined that they had been born in a free country. A free country with the Corporation Act and the test still in force in it. Timbers propped up against men's liberties and dishonored consciences to shore up an established anachronism with. My missionaries were taught to spell out the guilt signs on their tabards. The showy gilding was a neat idea. I could have got the king to wear a bulletin board for the sake of that barbaric splendor. They were to spell out these signs. And then explain to the lords and ladies what soap was, and if the lords and ladies were afraid of it, get them to try it on a dog. The missionary's next move was to get the family together and try it on himself. He was to stop at no experiment, however desperate, that could convince the nobility that soap was harmless. If any final doubt remained, he must catch a hermit. The woods were full of them. Saints, they called themselves, and saints they were believed to be. They were unspeakably holy and worked miracles and everybody stood in awe of them. If a hermit could survive a wash, and that failed to convince a duke, give him up, let him alone. Whenever my missionaries overcame a knight-errant on the road, they washed him, and when he got well, they swore him to go and get a bulletin board and disseminate soap and civilization the rest of his days. As a consequence, the workers in the field were increasing by degrees, and the reform was steadily spreading. My soap factory felt the strain early, At first I had only two hands, but before I left home I was already employing fifteen, and running night and day, and the atmospheric result was getting so pronounced that the king went sort of fainting and gasping around, and said he did not believe he could stand it much longer, and Sir Lancelot got so that he did hardly anything but walk up and down the roof and swear, although I told him it was worse up there than anywhere else, but he said he wanted plenty of air, and he was always complaining that a palace was no place for a soap factory anyway. "'and said if a man was to start one in his house, "'he would be damned if he wouldn't strangle him. "'There were ladies present, too, "'but much these people ever cared for that. "'They would swear before children, "'if the wind was their way when the factory was going. "'This missionary knight's name was La Cote Male "'and he said that his castle was the abode of Morgan Le Fay, "'sister of King Arthur and wife of King Uriens, "'monarch of a realm about as big as the district of Columbia.' YOU COULD STAND IN THE MIDDLE OF IT AND THROW BRICKS INTO THE NEXT KINGDOM. KINGS AND KINGDOMS WERE AS THICK IN BRITAIN AS THEY HAD BEEN IN LITTLE PALESTINE IN JOSHUA'S TIME, WHEN PEOPLE HAD to sleep WITH THEIR KNEES PULLED UP BECAUSE THEY COULDN'T STRETCH OUT WITHOUT A PASSPORT. Cote WAS MUCH DEPRESSED, FOR HE HAD SCORED HERE THE WORST FAILURE OF HIS CAMPAIGN. HE HAD NOT WORKED OFF A CAKE, YET HE HAD TRIED ALL THE TRICKS OF THE TRADE, EVEN TO THE WASHING OF A HERMIT. BUT THE HERMIT DIED. THIS WAS INDEED A BAD FAILURE. For this animal would now be dubbed a martyr, and would take his place among the saints of the Roman calendar. Thus made he his moan, this poor Sir Lacoat male tail, and sorrowed passing sore. And so my heart bled for him, and I was moved to comfort and stay him. Wherefore I said, Forbear to grieve, fair knight, for this is not a defeat. We have brains, you and I, and for such as have brains there are no defeats, but only victories. Observe how we would turn this seeming disaster into an advertisement, an advertisement for our soap, and the biggest one, to draw, that was ever thought of, an advertisement that will transform that Mount Washington defeat into a Matterhorn victory. We will put on your bulletin board, patronized by the elect. How does that strike you? Barely. It's wonderfully be thought. Well, a body's bound to admit that for just a modest little one-line ad, it's a corker. So the poor coal Porter's griefs vanished away, He was a brave fellow, and had done mighty feats of arms in his time. His chief celebrity rested upon the events of an excursion like this one of mine, which he had once made with a damsel named Maladescent, who was as handy with her tongue as was Sandy, though in a different way, for her tongue churned forth only railings and insult, whereas Sandy's music was of a kindlier sort. I knew his story well, and so I knew how to interpret the compassion that was in his face when he bade me farewell. "'He supposed I was having a bitter hard time of it. "'Sandy and I discussed his story as we rode along, "'and she said that Lakote's bad luck "'had begun with the very beginning of that trip, "'for the king's fool had overthrown him on the first day, "'and in such cases it was customary for the girl "'to desert to the conqueror. "'But Maladecent didn't do it, "'and also persisted afterward in sticking to him, "'after all his defeats. "'But,' said I, suppose the victor should decline to accept his spoil,' She said that that wouldn't answer. He must. He couldn't decline. It wouldn't be regular. I made a note of that. If Sandy's music got to be too burdensome, sometime I would let a knight defeat me on the chance that she would desert to him. In due time, we were challenged by the warders from the castle walls, and after a parley, admitted. I have nothing pleasant to tell about that visit. But it was not a disappointment, for I knew Mrs. Le Fay by reputation— "'and was not expecting anything pleasant. "'She was held in awe by the whole realm, "'for she had made everybody believe "'she was a great sorceress. "'All her ways were wicked, "'all her instincts devilish. "'She was loaded to the eyelids with cold malice. "'All her history was black with crime, "'and among her crimes, murder was common. "'I was most curious to see her, "'as curious as I could have been to see Satan. "'To my surprise, she was beautiful.' "'Black thoughts had failed to make her expression repulsive. "'Age had failed to wrinkle her satin skin "'or mar its bloomy freshness. "'She could have passed for old Urien's granddaughter. "'She could have been mistaken for sister to her own son. "'As soon as we were fairly within the castle gates, "'we were ordered into her presence. "'King Urien's was there, "'a kind-faced old man with a subdued look, "'and also the son, Sir Eugène Le Blanchemain, "'in whom I was, of course, interested,' on account of the tradition that he had once done battle with thirty knights, and also on account of his trip with Sir Gawain and Sir Marhouse, which Sandy had been aging me with. But Morgan was the main attraction. The conspicuous personality here. She was head chief of this household. That was plain. She caused us to be seated, and then she began, with all manner of pretty graces and graciousness, to ask me questions. With all manner of pretty graces and graciousnesses, "'to ask me questions. "'Dear me, it was like a bird or a flute, "'or something, talking. "'I felt persuaded that this woman "'must have been misrepresented, lied about. "'She trilled along and trilled along, "'and presently a handsome young page, "'clothed like the rainbow, "'was as easy and undulatory of movement as a wave, "'came in with something on a golden salver, "'and, kneeling to present it to her, "'overdid his graces and lost his balance, "'and so fell lightly against her knee.' "'She slipped a dirk into him in as matter of course a way "'as another person would have harpooned a rat. "'Poor child! "'He slumped to the floor, twisted his silken limbs "'in one great straining contortion of pain, and was dead. "'Out of the old king was wrung an involuntary, "'Oh!' of compassion. "'The look he got made him cut it suddenly short "'and not put any more hyphens in it. "'Sir Ewain, at a sign from his mother, "'went to the anteroom and called some servants.' And meanwhile, Madame went rippling sweetly along with her talk. I saw that she was a good housekeeper, for while she talked, she kept a corner of her eye on the servants to see that they made no balks in handling the body and getting it out. When they came with fresh clean towels, she said back for the other kind, and when they had finished wiping the floor and were going, she indicated a crimson fleck the size of a tear, which their duller eyes had overlooked. It was plain to me that Lacote Male Tail had failed to see the mistress of the house often how louder and clearer than any tongue does dumb circumstantial evidence speak. Morgan Le Fay rippled along as musically as ever. Marvelous woman! And what a glance she had! When it fell in reproof upon those servants, they shrunk and quailed as timid people do when the lightning flashes out of a cloud. I could have got the habit myself. It was the same with that poor old Brer Uriens. He was always on the ragged edge of apprehension. She could not even turn toward him, but he winced. In the midst of the talk I let drop a complimentary word about King Arthur, forgetting for the moment how this woman hated her brother. That one little compliment was enough. She clouded up like a storm. She called for her guards and said, Hail me these variants to the dungeons. That struck cold on my ears, for her dungeons had a reputation. Nothing occurred to me to say, or do. But not so with Sandy, as the guard laid a hand upon me, she piped up with the tranquilest confidence, and said, "'God's wounds! Dost thou covet destruction, thou maniac? "'It's the boss!' Now what a happy idea that was, and so simple! Yet it would never have occurred to me. I was born modest, not all over, but in spots, and this was one of the spots. The effect upon Madame was electrical. It cleared her countenance, and brought her back to smiles, and all her persuasive graces and blandishments, but nevertheless she was not able to entirely cover up with them the fact that she was in a ghastly fright. She said, La! but do list to thine handmaid, as if one gifted with powers like mine ought to say the thing which I have said unto one who has vanquished Merlin, and not by jesting. By mine enchantments I foresaw your coming, and by them I knew you when you entered here. I did but play this little jest with hope to surprise you into some display of your art." as not doubting you would blast the guards with occult fires, consuming them to ashes on the spot, a marvel much beyond mine own ability, yet one which I have long been childishly curious to see. The guards were less curious, and got out as soon as they got permission. Thanks for joining us today for a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, Chapters 15 and 16. This is 1001 Stories for the Road, and this is your host, John Hagedorn. We'll return next Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.